Um, ladies, if you're interested in those, there's a, a sign-up um, at the welcome desk, and, and also feel free to talk to Mary and Amber if you have questions. And last, um, as we've been saying for the past several weeks, um, we are excited to have uh, our neighborhood gathering um, campaign starting, um, kicking off on September 26. Um, a host um, from your neighborhood will be contacting you in the next couple weeks to let you know um, where you'll be gathering. And um, you're going to be sharing a meal together that evening. Um, and you can uh, um, update your, your phone. I know we had you pull out your phones a few weeks ago um, and put this on your calendar. But um, the time is going to be 5 p.m. So you can mark down uh, 5 p.m. on September 26. And we're, our hope and our prayer is that out of these um, neighborhood gatherings uh, for a meal, um, that small groups will form um, for the next six weeks. So we'll be um, saying some more about that in the coming weeks as well. Well, before we um, turn our attention to uh, God's word and um, hear the message that Pastor Aaron has prepared for us this morning, uh, we have a video announcement from Pastor Cody. Um, he is enjoying some time with his family this weekend, but has an important announcement for you. So, Good morning, church. Since I'm currently on vacation, I just wanted to give one last announcement about the Bible study that I'm leading Wednesday nights. Wednesday nights, we're going to take time and just study the Bible and how to study the Bible. This is one of my favorite things I love to do. And what we're doing is just basically between Wednesday nights, between 6 o'clock and 7.30, when Awan is happening, we'll meet in the fellowship hall, hanging out, and just every Wednesday night, we're just going to walk through, kind of just take an hour and a half, just a little less than that, talking about just how to study the Bible. What does it mean to look at the different types of literature within Scripture, how to do word studies, and just the, just the understanding of the big picture of Scripture, and how to just work on understanding just different verses in Scripture. So I'm just so excited to do this class. We've done it for many years, and we're doing it again. So I encourage you, if you have Wednesday night available, between 6 and 7.30, join us. It's going to be a great study, studying the Bible and how to study that. Thanks. Good morning. Uh, before we get into uh, the message today, um, there is also another announcement that I would like to bring to your attention. Uh, many, or not many years ago, several years ago, before I uh, got here, uh, there was an attempt to start up a special needs ministry, in particular a Sunday school class. And uh, through Luke Morris leaving and COVID, uh, that didn't really come to fruition, but uh, we are excited. Uh, Mary Gruber came forward um, and has uh, very willingly offered to lead that class for the fall. But before we can start that class, um, we need volunteers. Um, so if you are interested in that, come see me. Uh, talk to Mary Gruber. Talk to Kimberly Robbins um, or one of the other pastors here. We need people uh, to sit in that class alongside Mary to help with reading and writing and uh, just just basically to, to be a body in there and to, to help um, individuals uh, learn ab about God's Word. Um, we've been going through the book of James, as you know, and uh, this week is no different. We took a little break to talk about uh, missions, and we, it was a great time to have missionaries with us learning about them and what they do and their calling and how we can 
assist them. But uh, today we're back in James, and uh, there is something special about names, isn't there? Uh, If you're a parent, you probably pick the name of your child based on someone who had influenced you in your life, whether uh, it was a Bible character or a relative. Uh, And names hold a great deal of power, Um, especially in the Old Testament. uh, People were named based on what the parent expected of them or, or their appearance even as an infant. And I can say a name, not necessarily from the Old Testament, but I can say a name and you'll immediately associate things with that name, won't you? So if I say the name Michael Jordan, what do you think of? Basketball, very good. If I say the name Michael Phelps, what do you think of? They hold a lot of power, whether for good or for bad. If I said the name Adolf Hitler, is a lot, of, a lot of bad connotations come with that. You might think of evil, murder, execution, holocaust. It bears a lot of power in the name for bad, but it bears a lot of power. Uh, my name is Aaron Joel Brown. My, my parents named me Aaron because, he was, because in the Old Testament, Aaron, for the most part, was faithful to his, his brother Moses in, in helping him lead the children of Israel. And my middle name is Joel because that's my father's name. And growing up uh, as a pastor's kid, do I have any pastor's kids in here? Anybody? One, one two. Thank you, John. Um, and if you know anything about pastor's kids, you are not known, usually, when you introduce yourself, you introduce yourself as so-and-so son. I, when we had visitors at church, we'd be like, oh, my name's Aaron. They'd be like, I don't really know who you are. I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm Pastor Joel's son. And they would immediately have an idea of who I was supposed to be, right? I was supposed to know everything from, uh, I was supposed to have the entire uh, Bible memorized. I was supposed to know where the bathrooms were. I was supposed to be there every workday at church. There were certain expectations of me because I was Pastor Joel's son. And most pastor's kids, I think, go through that. And that's actually one of the biggest struggles for me growing up is because I had this set of expectations that really no other kid in church had except my siblings. And there was a set of expectations placed on me because of whose kid I was. Whether good or bad expectation, there's a set of expectations that go along with being Pastor Joel's son. And you really are are no different. Obviously you're not Pastor Joel's son, but you have been given a name. You've been called a child of God right? And there is a set of expectations that go along with that. And we're going to get into that today in the book of James. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to James chapter 3. And we're going uh, to go through verses 13 through 18. Pastor Cody did a, did a great job last week flying through the first uh, half there of chapter 3, talking about the, the tongue And we've been going through James, and it's a very practical book. The sermons for James pretty much write themselves because he just outlines everything for you. It's a very easy, practical book to understand. James 3, starting in verse 13. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds and gentleness of wisdom. 
But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering and without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in the peace by those who make peace. James loves to give examples of how we should act by giving us a rhetorical question. He starts verse 13. He starts this, he starts this new thought in, in chapter 3, in verse 13. Who among you is wise in understanding? Immediately, someone is going to be brought to their mind. He says, who among you is wise in understanding? Okay, now you start thinking, okay, who do I consider to be wise, understanding, upright, all these things? And then he gives the definition of what it truly means to be wise and understanding. He says, let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. And that's James' first point, is that wisdom is shown in our actions. You don't go to someone who claims to be good at something. You go to someone who is good at that something. You've seen it done. If I have a construction question at my home, I'm going to go to Ben Bay because I've seen his work and I know he does good work. If I need to figure out how to load a trailer, sorry, Bob, I'm going to come to you because he's done it so many times. He helped me move into my house and we had that thing so packed and he's moved so many people. He knows what he's doing. If I have a question about accounting, John, I'm going to come to you because you do good work, right? It's evidenced that you do good work. I don't go to someone who just says they're good at something. I go to someone who truly is and shows it by their work. When, uh, before my wife and I were dating, we, we went on a missions trip, and I had, being the 14-year-old macho man that I was, I had made a claim that I could eat a lot. Most 14-year-old boys can. And I was, I, I was, I'm trying to think, 14. I was probably about 5 foot 4 and about, a, about 110 pounds. Big guy. Um, <laughs> and we, we went on this missions trip, and one of the nights, uh, uh, the, the, the missionary family that had hosted us had, get, had provided this meal for us, and they bought everybody. They, they weren't just missionaries. They were also entrepreneurs, so they, they had some money. They bought everybody uh, like a 12-ounce prime rib steak, and there were like, I'm trying to think, from between the different missions teams, there were like 50 people there. And I, you know, people had, had made fun of me. I'm like, oh, yeah, you eat so much, yada, yada, yada. So I'm, I made a point to eat a lot of steak. And I'm not exactly sure where the number fell, but it was between 60 and 70 ounces of beef. I threw up like a fire hydrant. <laughs> but I had proved that I loved to eat. And let me tell you, it was, I, if I could go back and do it again, I would, because that was the best steak I've ever had in my life. I proved... 
I, I, I backed up what I had said. And that's what James is saying here. Who among you is wise in understanding? Let him show it. Just because they, they're 90 years old doesn't mean they have wisdom. If you, if you have a 90-year-old person who has gone through a lot of things, a lot of 90-year-old people, they've gone through several wars, right? And they might have served in the military. Or they might be uh, a mother, a grandmother, or a great-grandmother, and you can see the evidence of their wisdom with their family. Wisdom is shown in action. Next, going to verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. Bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. These things are very, very prominent in the world in which we live today, aren't they? Jealousy. The grass is always greener on the other side, right? We look at other people and want what they want. We see their cars. We see their spouses. We see their families. We see their houses, the way they live, the way they dress, the way they talk. We want what they have. It's part of being human. It's, it's innate in us because we are sinners. We want what other people have. And now, in the world today, we're being taught that that's okay. In, in this world of jealousy and selfish ambition, we have these things springing up, these new jobs. I don't remember hearing about this 10 years ago, but these, these things called life coaches. Now, I don't have a problem with life coaches. Actually, I know some who are Christian life coaches and, and coach life correctly. But in the world today, there's these things called life coaches. And they want you to be your best you, right? They want you to live your best life now. We even have some preachers today saying this same thing, but not staying true to the word of God. Live your best life now. Do what you want. Have self-ambition. You go get it. You go be a doer. You get what you want. That's how you become truly happy. Uh, I forget who said it, but when interviewed, a millionaire was asked, how much, how much money is, is enough, right? And he said, just a little bit more, right? We're never truly happy with what we have. Jealousy and selfish ambition in our heart. We are not called to that as Christians. As a great theologian, uh, Larry the Cucumber, once said, a thankful heart is a happy heart. That's what we're called to. We're called to gratitude. We're called to thanksgiving for the things that God has given us. That doesn't mean we should squander what we have. That means we're thankful for what we do have and we're content with that. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. You're going to be lying against the word of God. You're going to be lying against the character of Jesus Christ when you have those things in your heart as a Christian. Marketing in America today, trying to, trying to push on us. I don't know if you've seen a commercial lately. I do not know what they're trying to sell me till about the last three seconds of the commercial. Because the first, let's say they have a 30-second spot, the first 27 seconds is just somebody being happy with what they have now or being unhappy until they get that thing, right? They're not selling you a product. They're selling you happiness. That's what they're trying to get you, whether it's a car, a new bike, a house, whatever it may be, that is what they're trying to sell you, is happiness. 
They're feeding into your self-ambition and jealousy. Going down to verse 15. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but it is earthly, natural, and demonic. I'm, I'm reading from the New American Standard. You might have uh, a word like unspiritual or something close to that. Let's go through these three. And in, in, this, in this verse... What James is trying to communicate is that wisdom, true wisdom, is not of this world. You can't find it here unless it's in the Word of God. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but it is earthly, natural, and demonic. It is earthly. It is common. It is, it is of this world. It's the very essence of what this world has to offer. It's what we want as Christians. It's, it's what we want as humans, but not what we should want as Christians. We're, are we called to be of this world? Okay, let's try that again. Are we called to be of this world? We're not called to be of this world. We're not called to be earthly. We, in our minds, we skew it so we think that the, the 70 to 100 whatever years we get on this earth are it, and we got to get while we can get it, right? We are not merely earthly beings. We have a start point, yes, but there's a lot more after this earth, and it's going to be way better than anything you can find here. It is earthly. Secondly, it is Natural or unspiritual. I like the word natural here because it reminds me that it is what comes naturally to me is sin without Jesus Christ, without the Holy Spirit. It comes naturally to me. It's what I want to do first. It's my first instinct. Jealousy, selfish ambition are what I want first. I've got to protect number one, right? I've got to look out for me. And then I can worry about everybody else. Is that the example that Jesus gave us? No. This, the very Son of God came to serve people. He put himself... He was born in a manger. That tells you everything you need to know about him. He was lowly to elevate others to the glory of God, our Father. Lastly, it says that it is demonic. That is, that is one of the biggest insults you can attribute to something. Because our battle is not against flesh and blood, correct? It's against powers and principalities we cannot see. It is demonic. It stems from Satan. When, when he came to Adam and Eve in the garden... He skewed God's words, and he's like, well, actually, you'll, you'll be equal with God. You'll understand what God understands, right? Selfish ambition. They wanted to bring themselves up. Uh, if you would do me a favor, and I know we've been doing this a lot lately, would you pull out your cell phone right now, please? Pull out your cell phone, and if you have 
either like an Amazon, eBay, whatever app you have that you, that you buy books on, would you pull it up right now? And would you do me a favor and buy the book, The Screwtape Letters? Has anyone read this book? Anyone read this book? Okay, if you have not read this book, I'm very serious. Buy that book right now. It is one of the greatest insights into the demonic realm. It's a work of fiction that C.S. Lewis writes, but it gives us great insight and explanation into the battle uh, in the spiritual world. Uh, just to give you an overview, we have Uncle Screwtape, who is, who is writing letters and meeting with his nephew back and forth, and their goal, he's, he's training him on how to deceive humans and how to get them away from the enemy, which is God, how to, how to get them farther and farther away. And, and one of the chapters, Uncle Screwtape says, you know what, actually one of the best things you can do is just to leave them alone because they will naturally go back to what they want. It is natural force and it's demonic. There's, there's a battle going on. There's right and there's wrong. Be on the right side. Don't give in to what comes to you naturally and don't give in to the attacks of Satan and his legions. Wisdom is not of this world. You're not going to find it here unless it's in this book or unless you're in prayer. And uh, the greatest example of that, I think, is in Daniel chapter 2. Turn, with, turn there with me just briefly, if you would, Daniel chapter 2. And what we know about Daniel uh, in, in chapter 2 is he's been, he's been taken away to Babylon and he's in the, he's in the magician slash wise men training program there. And he's being trained on how to consult the king properly. He's being trained in, in government activity. And there comes a time, while well, he's in this program with his three friends, right? And there comes a time when the king has a dream or, or a vision in the night. We're not exactly sure which one it is. It's probably both. And the king wants to, wants to make sure these wise men are truly wise. And he calls on the guys in his inner court and he says, okay, tell me, he doesn't say explain the dream to me. He says, tell me what I dreamed and then explain it to me. Prove to me that you're wise men. And they can't do it because they've sought the wisdom of this world. They can't do it. But there is someone who can. And the king says, all right, you know what? This, this wise men training program was a huge waste of time. We're going to get rid of everyone in the program. Start over fresh. And uh, Daniel hears about this and he's like, wait. I don't want to die, so I know I will talk to my manager and I will get you the information you seek because I know a guy who can interpret, who can tell you the dream, who interpreted the dream, and the very guy who probably gave you the dream. And Daniel, actually, it's, it's, it's very interesting. This is one of the few times in Scripture. Daniel, is an he doesn't immediately get the interpretation of the dream. He doesn't immediately know what the dream is. But he, he has such confidence in his God that he can say, I know, I know who knows, and he just might tell me. So he goes back with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and what do they do? They pray all night. And it, and it, and it says in, the, in, in verse 17, going through 28, let's read that together. Daniel chapter 2, verse 17. Then Daniel went to his house and informed his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah about the matter, so that they might request compassion 
from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his friends would not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel said, Let the name of God be blessed forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to him. It is he who changes the times and the epochs. It's he who removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. It is he who reveals the profound and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells within him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and power, and even now you have made known to me what we requested of you, for you have made made known to us the king's matter. Therefore Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon, and spoke to him as follows. Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me into the king's presence, and I will declare the interpretation to the king. Then Arioch hurriedly brought Daniel into the king's presence and spoke to him as follows. I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can make the interpretation known to the king. The king said to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream in which I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered before the king and said, As for the mystery about which the king has inquired, neither wise men, conjurers, magicians, nor diviners are able to declare it to the king. However, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to, made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will take place in the latter days. This was your dream and the visions in your mind while you were on bed. I want you to notice Daniel's response. He goes and he prays for wisdom, right? He goes and he prays, I need the interpretation of the dream so I don't die. I need to know what the dream was. What is his immediate response? What? Praise to God. Three or four times in this prayer right here, he says, God is the one who gave me this wisdom. And I want you to also notice the two individuals at, at the end of this, at this story who, get, who come before the king. There's Arioch and there's Daniel. And there are two very different responses. What is Daniel says, God has given me this dream, so let me go before the king. And when Arioch gets to the king, what does Arioch say? He says, I found the guy! I did it, king! Look at me! I did it! It was me! Did he, do, he was probably just standing outside the door. But he wants to get ahead. Because that's what's in his heart, selfish ambition. Whereas Daniel says, you know, king, I really don't know. But God knows, and he's going to use me to tell you. That's an appropriate response. He knows that wisdom is not of this world. It comes from God. Turn back to uh, James chapter 3, if you would, please. James chapter 3, going back to, we're going to jump into verse 16. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. Does anyone know a place today where disorder exists? It's, it's not hard to find, is it? You, you can pretty much walk out your front door and find it, can't you? Disorder and every evil thing. Why? Jealousy and selfish ambition. 
And the world today is in this state. The world is so disorderly because it creates its own wisdom. They don't seek it from God. That's why it's so, that's why it's in such the state that it's in. Look at America. Perfect example. Disorder, evil things, you betcha. Because we've created our own wisdom. We've created these laws and bills that we think are wisdom, but they're not from above. They're not God-given. And we've strayed so far away. When you need to know something, let's say you're having a debate with someone and you're unfamiliar maybe with the topic, where, where do you go to study for it? Where do you go? Where? The internet, right? I remember in college we would have these we would have ridiculous, silly debates in college because it was noon, we, it was lunchtime, I had just spent four hours in systematic theology, I did not want to have a serious conversation, I was just fried. And we'd have conversations on like, is a hot dog a sandwich? Or is a kayak a boat? By the way, it is not. Um, and just silly things like that, but we have serious conversations in our lives today and the first place we go is Google? Are you kidding me? That's the first place we go. We try and give this statistic that proves us right. It's not that, it's not that, it's, I don't even think it's that we want to be right. It's that we want the other person to be wrong. True wisdom does not come from Google. You, we laugh at that, but it, we, that's the first place we go, isn't it? Why isn't this the first place we go when we're talking about an issue? If we don't have the answer right away, there's a, there's a beautiful thing in the, ba- in the back of a lot of your Bibles that, that talk about perspectives from the Bible, from a biblical source. Just look that up if you don't know where to go. Give Pastor Cody a call. Give me a call. Somebody, we will help you find it in Scripture. You shouldn't just have your own opinion. You should have God's opinion through Scripture. You are not called to have an opinion. Sorry. You're not. You are called to live God's opinion. And the only one that really matters, it's not even really an opinion, it's just truth. The world today is so disorderly because it creates its own wisdom. And and you don't need to turn there, but in Romans 12 is a perfect example of this. Romans 12, verses 2 through 5. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that may, you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many in one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Wisdom doesn't come from this world. This world is disorderly because it's conforming to itself. It's built on on top of lie, on top of lie, on top of lie, and eventually we're going to get to a point it's going to fall because it's not on the rock of Scripture. It's not on the rock of Christ. It creates 
its own wisdom. Go, uh, go uh, in, in James, we're going to look at verse 17. We're going to be here a while, just so you know. Verse 17, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and fruits, unwavering or impartial, and without hypocrisy. Now I need, I need everyone to put on their, their Sunday school hats. I need a Sunday school answer for this. Whose attributes did he just describe? Christ, God's, right? That's exactly what he just described. This is what you're called to. Put away the selfish ambition and cling to Christ. And he outlines what that means for us. And we're going to go through each of these attributes and find where Christ examples these for us. Now, some of the words here, I did have to do a little bit of a word study on because it didn't 100% make sense. I was like, I think I know what that means. Then you look into it and find, oh, we don't, we don't have a proper English translation for one word to one word, so it's kind of, a, kind of more of a sentence or, or a description. So first, the wisdom from above is pure. And that word, pure, means undivided in devotion. Undivided in devotion. I cannot think of a better example of undivided in devotion than Jesus Christ. He knew what his mission was. Before the foundation of the world, he knew his, his, found, he knew his mission and he stuck to it. Creation of the world, he knew his mission and stuck to it. He came to earth as a baby. He knew his mission and stuck to it. He was betrayed by Jesus. He knew his mission and he stuck to it. Or he was betrayed by Judas, excuse me, and Stuck to it. Went to the cross, falsely accused, beaten within an inch of his life. And he stuck to it. His focus was undivided. And undivi he was undivided in devotion. Mark 10.45 gives kind of the mission statement of Jesus. It says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Even the Son of God, even the Son of Man, even Jesus was called to serve. He gave us a perfect, perfect example of this purity we're looking for. He was undivided in devotion. He served wherever he went. He never failed to take that opportunity. Next, peace. Peace-loving. That's pretty self-explanatory. Do you love peace? I'm, I'm, I'm asking this seriously. Do you love peace? The world today doesn't like peace. They think they do, but they really don't. What the world today likes to do is they like to get their pitchfork and their torch and chase whatever mob rule thing we're supposed to be angry about now, right? It's like, oh, we come over here. Ah, the election! I gotta be upset about this! Vaccines! Ooh, ooh, I gotta be upset about this one now! Masks! Oh, that, I can't, no, that, that can't, gotta be upset about that! And we're just seeing the circle keep going around and around and around, the same people getting upset about all these different things.
That is not what we're called to. I'm not saying you're not supposed to have an opinion on the election. You're supposed to be biblically informed on what that's supposed to look like and maybe who you're supposed to vote for. I'm not saying you don't get to have these opinions on mass or vaccines, but what I'm asking you to do is look at the word of God before you make any judgment calls and then live out peaceably with your neighbor. Love, peace. That's what we're called to do. In the midst of the greatest turmoil of his life, Christ showed this peace in John uh, 18, 10 through 11. Simon Peter, then having a sword, drew it and struck it, the high priest's slave, and cut off his right ear, and the slave's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put the sword into its sheath, the cup which the Father has given me, shall I not drink it? Because of his purity, because he was not divided in his devotion, he could have this peace, and he had peace all the way through. All the way through, through death on the cross. He's being wrongly accused. He got betrayed by, by someone, one of his 12 best friends. Does Jesus flip tables because, just because he wants to? Just because someone made him angry? Just because he disagrees with another person? He gets upset. When he gets upset and flips those tables, it's very righteous because they, have, they, they uh, dishonored his father's house, right? But he knew his mission, he knew what he was called to, and he says, Peter, this is not the attitude I have called you to. I'm, I'm going to example for you what a peace-loving individual looks like. The next attribute there is, is gentle. And this, this word, um, we, we often think of gentle, we might think of grandmother sitting on her on a rocking chair, knitting, and very gentle person, soft-spoken. That's not what gentleness is as described here. This gentleness means to be considerate. To be considerate. And for that one, we're going to go to Matthew 14, verse 13. It says, Now when Jesus heard about John, he withdrew from there in a boat and secluded in a secluded place by himself. And when the people heard of this, they followed him on foot from the cities. And he, and he saw them, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. John the Baptist has just died. One of Jesus' great friends, the guy who baptized him, his very cousin, right? He's been doing ministry for a long time now. He is exhausted. But he sees someone who has a great need. And he goes and he fills that need. It says he, he healed their sick. And he even gave them something to eat. Jesus didn't have to do that. He was considerate. He put others' needs before his needs. He was gentle in spirit. This next one, reasonable. Um, this... This one is, is going to be a little testy because the word reasonable here means submissive. <gasps> Show of hands, who really enjoys being submissive to other people? Nobody. Interesting. I, I, I struggle with that myself. I, I do. Whether it's 
to the government, whether it's to my boss, whether it's to limits, um, <laughs> whatever it is, I struggle with that because I am a human. I don't like to be submissive to other people. I don't enjoy it, but it is what we're called to do. And for that example of Christ, we're going to look at Philippians 2, 5 through 9. It says, Have this attitude in yourselves, which also was in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Christ perfectly examples for us what it means to be submissive. I'm not saying that Jesus is lesser than God. That's not what I'm saying. They are equal. They are the same. They are, Jesus is God. However, the Son of God, Jesus, gave us a perfect example of what it means to be submissive when we need to be. He emptied himself to the form of man. That's pretty low for God. I don't know if you know that. But for God to become a man, that's empty. He em- it says he emptied himself. He was he was sitting in heaven watching this, watching this all unfold and he still chose to come down to us. He knew exactly what was going to happen, but he emptied himself. He submitted to the will of God the Father because that's their relationship. Next, it says, full of mercy and good fruits. This is what I, what I, I my three words were, Christ-like actions. I had a hard time finding a specific verse for this because Christ is always extending mercy, right? He doesn't doesn't have people come to him and be like, Jesus, son of David, have mercy. And he's like, ah. No, he says, okay. This is what you need. I am here to extend your mercy. And that's what we are called to do as well. And if you look, we, we won't spend uh, the entire time there, but if you look at John chapter 8, the first 11 verses there, he meets a woman caught in adultery, right? And he teaches the Pharisees a great lesson. And the, the Pharisees and the leaders of the town come and they have stones in hand and they're ready to stone her. And what does Jesus say? Let him who is without sin throw the first stone. What Jesus is saying there, it is not your job to judge. That is not why you were put on this earth. I'm sorry. It's not. You are called to mercy because a great mercy has been shown to you through the work of Jesus Christ. You are called to mercy. You are not called to judgment. Next is... um, uh, it says unwavering, or uh, I have the word impartial. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this one because it's pretty obvious that God isn't super partial to any group of individual. Because guess what? I'm a sinner, and Eric's a sinner, and John's a sinner, and Craig is a sinner, and Barry, you're a sinner, right? And Jake and Aaron, you're a sinner. He's not super picky. He doesn't, he extends mercy. There's no partiality with God. There's no Jew, Greek, slave or free anymore. 
You are not called to partiality. Did you know, I'm going to let you in on a secret here, that just because you don't get along with someone doesn't mean you're supposed to treat them badly? Just because you don't agree with someone politically, did you know, another secret, that Pastor Cody and I disagree on certain elements of theology? He is, uh, he is in, he went to Trinity, which is fine. Um, <laughs> and, and Trinity teaches, it's called a covenantal style of theology. And I went to Moody Bible Institute, um, which teaches the, um, oh, what, what's the word? Uh, the right style of theology. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. And did you know Cody and I are still great friends? Even outside of the workplace, we still hang out, we still do stuff. He lets me preach when he's gone. Can you believe we get along so good even though we agree on, on certain elements of Scripture? We get along so good. But when it comes to the issues of, of masks or vaccines or elections, whatever it may be, suddenly that's the thing we're going to be mad about? No. There's no partiality. Lastly, it says, free of hypocrisy. Free of hypocrisy. And the, that word, the, free of hypocrisy means to, have, to be sincere. To really mean it. To have integrity. To do what's right when nobody's looking. S- to be sincere. And for that, I'm, I'm going to look at uh, the first section in Luke 12. Luke 12, 1 through 2, it says, Under these circumstances, after so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were stepping on one another, he began to say to his disciples, first of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy, because there is nothing covered up that will not be revealed and nothing hidden that will not be known. Your sin will find you out, is basically what he's saying. God doesn't like hypocrites. You wear, you, you, you go to church on Sunday, you wear the Christian mask at work, but then at work, you, you might cuss. Or you might talk about someone inappropriately. You gossip. That's a big one. Be free of hypocrisy. That's what he's calling you to do. There's an old song that, that talks about hypocrisy. It says, what you, what you do in the dark will be brought to the light. You can run on for a long time. Run on for a long time. Run on for a long time. But sooner or later, God will what? Anyone? Sooner or later, God will cut you down. Go listen to some Johnny Cash, please, if you, d- if you didn't get that reference. You will be cut down eventually for your hypocrisy. It may not be today, may not be tomorrow, may not be 10 years from now, but let me tell you, God is not a fan of people who claim to bear his name as children of God, but then don't live it out. Lastly, let's, let's go to verse 18. Verse 18 of, of James 3. <clears throat> and the seed whose fruit is righteousness is, is sown in peace by those who make peace. And that's, that's James' instruction to, to, the, to the recipients of this letter and to you and to me is you are called to be a peacemaker. And a peacemaker is someone who knows that God will provide what they need. Spiritually, physically, mentally, politically, everything. He provides 
what you need. And he has provided you with what you truly need. There's, there's, really, there's only one reference in Scripture that, that matches this. If you look in your study notes, you probably come up with Matthew 5, verse 9. And it says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the, the children of God. That's you and that's me. We bear his name. And there is a set of expectations that go along with that that are perfectly listed out for you in verse 17. My question to you in application is, what do you truly need? I believe there, there are three things that we find in these, in these passages that you find what you truly need. Number one, again, think, think Sunday school. How do We need to find out what God wants. We need to seek God's wisdom. And Sunday school hats on. Sunday school answer, how do we do that? How do we find out what God wants from us? Read the Bible and... You guys are so good. You must have gone to Sunday school. Read your Bible and pray. Don't look to Google for the answer. If you spend more time on Fox News or CNN than you do in the Word, that is a problem. That tells you everything you need to know about yourself. I, and I would encourage you, get rid of those... Just Delete whatever news app you have because there's really no good news in our world today. Is there? Do, the, the news doesn't get, doesn't get reported because it's good news or bad news. It gets reported because it's, it's exciting and people want to think of these things. Like, uh, did you know that in Des Moines, Iowa, a, a, a football coach gave um, the chance of a lifetime to to a child with special needs and he got to run it in for a touchdown. Did you know that? That's great news! I'm so glad that coach did that. That did not make national headlines. What's making national headlines is protests and riots, trouble in the Middle East, which I, I believe we should be praying for fervently. But you are getting reported bad news. If you want good news... There's a reason it's called the good news. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, we have, we have 66 books, I would say, of good news. Read it. Enjoy it. Secondly, this one is, this is a tough one, admit jealousy and arrogance without trying to cover them up. When you're wrong about something, admit you're wrong about something. It, do I have any married men in here? Anybody, any, anybody a, married, a married man? Jake, if you are wrong about something and you want your marriage to continue to thrive, do you admit it pretty dang quick? Yeah, you, you do. <laughs> I've been married for a year and I haven't been right once, um, but I am in a happy marriage, right? Because I, I've, I've worked with that. My, my father taught me that. You admit when you're wrong. And as, especially as guys, we do not like to be wrong. We don't. But we need to admit it when we are. And we need to, be, we need to admit, or if we're right a bunch and we become arrogant about that, set yourself down a notch. Admit jealousy and arrogance without trying to cover them up. 
And lastly, the main message of what James is trying to say is to create a climate of peace wherever you go. Um, several weeks ago, there was a school board meeting here in Rice Lake. And this is actually hard for me to talk about. I wasn't at the meeting. I, I watched, you can watch it on YouTube. And the behavior shown at that meeting by people who attend churches here in town and attend this church was embarrassing. There was cussing. There was yelling. The school board even really vote until there was a call to silence. All over something, you can shoot me down for this, in, in my opinion, doesn't really matter. It's not going to matter in eternity. The behavior at that meeting was embarrassing. I, one of my friends told me, I, I, I couldn't hear the sound super great, one of my friends who was there said he heard more amens at that meeting than he has here at Maranatha his entire time coming. That's embarrassing. That's sad. And I'm not, I'm not getting up on a soapbox and telling you I'm so much better than you because I struggle with this too. I struggle with this issue on, on mass, no max, vaccine, vac, no vaccine, whatever it may be. I struggle with that because the Bible isn't super clear on maybe what we should do, but the Bible is very clear on being a peacemaker. Say your peace and you're done. Again, going back to the to marriage analogy, if, if you have a problem with your spouse or a problem with another person, say your peace. If, and whatever their response is, that's on them. You've, you've done your job. You've brought it to their attention. You say, hey, you've hurt me in this way. You are called to be at peace. You're called to be a peacemaker. Create a climate of peace wherever you go. Romans 12.18 says, if possible, so far as it depends on who? You and you and you. Be at peace with all men. All men. Doesn't matter their, their political identity. Doesn't matter their views on scripture. Doesn't matter man, woman, child, Jew, Greek, Gentile. It doesn't matter. You are called to be at peace. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this day and thank you for your word and I pray that, um, as, as you say, that it would not come back void and it will not come back void. Father, I pray that you would work in our hearts, that we would truly love to make peace. That is what we are called to. That is what is required of us. You call us to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with you. And I pray that you would help us to do that. And I pray that you would help us to become peacemakers and to create a climate of peace wherever we go. And Father, as, as the greatest of all sinners, I pray that you would, you would start with me. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand and join us if you're able.
me vision to see things like you do. God, I look to you. You're where my help comes from. Give me wisdom. You know just what to do.